And now Audrey is going to come and read Psalm 31, which John will be preaching on in a few minutes' time. Lots of psalms this morning. It's great to get into the Bible's prayer book. Audrey. Thank you. Psalm 31. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. Come quickly to my rescue. Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Free me from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. I hate those who cling to worthless idols. I trust in the Lord. I will be glad and rejoice in your love, for you saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul. You have not handed me over to the enemy, but have set my feet in a spacious place. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my body, my soul and my body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbors. I am a dread to my friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten by them as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery. For I hear the slander of many. There is terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from my enemies and from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. Let me not be put to shame, O Lord, for I have cried out to you. But let the wicked be put to shame and lie silent in the grave. Let their lying lips be silenced, for with pride and contempt they speak arrogantly against the righteous. How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you bestow in the sight of men on those who take refuge in you. In the shelter of your presence, you hide them from the intrigues of men. In your dwelling, you keep them safe from accusing tongues. Praise be to the Lord, for he showed his wonderful love to me when I was in a besieged city. In my alarm, I said, I am cut off from your sight. Yet you heard my cry for mercy when I called to you for help. Love the Lord, all his saints. The Lord preserves the faithful, but the proud he pays back in full. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. <laughs> what a joy it is to be uh, with you in, in person. Um, what a joy it is to be... Uh, yeah, I'm so used to leading and speaking from my little office uh, back in Newcastle, so to actually be with you and to be with you guys uh, in person is an absolute joy for Debs and myself. So uh, we look forward very much to getting to, to know you all later on in, in the year. I've chosen to uh, speak on Psalm 31 this morning. Um, uh, as Mike said, it feels like we've got a bit of a psalm fest uh, going on, but I'd like to spend a little bit of time in, in Psalm 31. And the question that I'd like us to consider um, at the start is this, is when things go wrong, when, <laughs> when trouble hits, when difficulties come in life, how do you, how do you normally react what do you do in life when, when things get you down? Now, I'm not talking about the sort of uh, seemingly insignificant things, um, the superficial things, uh, like the time uh, a few years ago I was on holiday in, in Pembrokeshire and uh, I walked into, into Fat Face and I saw a shirt I rather liked and I, and I spent 35 of my hard-earned pounds on this shirt. Uh, it looked rather good, I think. Um, yeah, it looked, yeah, it looked okay. Uh, wore it to a family gathering later that week. Um, the, week late, uh, the next week I was in a fat face, I, I don't spend a lot of time in fat face, it has to be said, but uh, I was in a fat face in Hereford and I saw the same shirt on sale for £20. <laughs> and I was so grumpy and uh, Deb's had to put up with a, a really miserable uh, husband uh, for a while. It's just silly how, how these little things can, can, can get me down. Anyway, I'm not talking about that sort of thing. All the, all the sort of thing where recently, just before lockdown, I was, I was dropping... Um, my son off at football uh, practice and I managed to put a scratch down the side of, uh, of the car. Um, low fence, um, wooden fence, but a, a metal bracket, put it along the side, two panes, two panels, um, and I was so cross with myself. But it's amazing in that sort of situation, isn't it, how I reacted. It wasn't my fault for driving into the fence. It was my son's fault because if I hadn't had to take him to football training, I would never have been there in the first place. You know, you, I'm sure you can relate a little bit. Now, as silly and as humorous as those are, I'm not really thinking of those kind of, kind of things when I ask how we react. What, what is it, though, when big things happen? You know, how do we react then? What, 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 when those times of trouble, those times of stress, those times of anxiety, those times of, of, of depression, those things that steal our sleep and rob us of our joy, you know those sort of times? times when maybe our chest, the, you know, our chest seems to, the, the hearts seem to be beating just, beating just that little bit, that little bit faster, the stomachs are hollow, the smiles are, are gone from our faces, we seem to be frowning an awful lot of, a lot of the time. I wonder what it is in, in that sort of category that might be troubling you this morning. It might be something to do with work, it might be something to do with uh, some studies that you're in, in, engaged in. It might be something to do with money. It might be something to do with, with health, your health or, or the health of a loved one. It might be something concerning what others think of you. Uh, I'm, I'm a little worried about that this morning as I stand here before you, wondering what you guys are going to make, make of me. Maybe something in the past... That, that, that hasn't been dealt with. It may be something that you're concerned about in the future. 
And if it's none of those things, then I guess it's probably something relational. Maybe there's been a relational breakdown that you're having to deal with. Maybe you're concerned about where a relationship is going or, or, or a relationship isn't going. What might it be for you? And this psalm, Psalm 31, um, that I'd like us to look at, was written uh, by a man called David, uh, a man who knew all about stress and trouble and difficulties. David, you will recall, probably, uh, as the pebble-slinging, giant slaying hero who became king of Israel at just 30, uh, 30 years old. But throughout his life, David had to deal with an awful lot of, of, of stresses and crises, some of his own making, some not of his own making. Uh, he had to deal with relational breakdown. He had to deal with uh, multiple attempts on his life. He was, uh, he was uh, the victim of slander. He was hated by many. He was envied. His love life was a, was a, was a, a bit of a mess, uh, quite, quite frankly. He made some pretty awful decisions. He was a pretty weak father. Um, and, and he was often racked by doubt. He knew all about real stresses and trouble. And this psalm he wrote uh, demonstrates a truly godly response to trouble. Uh, and one commentator notes, he, it seems to take David from this point of anguish, this place of, of real struggle, to a place of assurance. And so my prayer is this morning that God would use it uh, to do the same with us. To do the same with us. Whether we are in the middle of a a trial right now or not. Whether we can think back to one or or just so that we know what what we're going to do the next time one of those life-altering struggles comes uh, comes along. So if you you do have a Bible, if you've brought one with you and and you get yourself to Psalm 31, that would be helpful. Or you might have a device, you might want to look at it on there. Uh, If you're watching on on home, uh, home, then um, you'll probably have your Bibles in front of you. Turn back to Psalm 31. As we journey with David through this psalm, we are going to discover, firstly, the predicament uh, facing David. Secondly, he's going to show us an example to follow in response to that. And lastly, he will give us this assurance for the future. And so before we go any further, let uh, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, this morning, please help us. Please help us to understand more about you as our rock and as our fortress. And please, Lord, would you speak to each one of us in the building, at home, uh, by the power of your spirit and through your word. And we pray it for your glory. Amen. Firstly, then, a predicament. I don't know about you, but sometimes it's very easy, isn't it, to, to, to look around a church and, and you look at each other in church and you think everybody has got it so together. Uh, you know, it, it, everyone's just, just doing fine. Uh, there are no issues. There are no, no challenges. Um, our church in, in Newcastle is a great church, but on the surface, week by week, it can feel like that. You know, you could, it can feel quite superficial. We come in, how are you doing? Yeah, we're doing all right. Nothing to see here. Thanks very much. And, and we just keep it on that, that sort of level. Uh, maybe you're the same here. I don't know. Maybe if you are, maybe that says something more about our English culture than it does about particular churches. Um, but you, you know what I mean when I, when I say that. But the truth is, we all struggle, don't we? We all struggle. Yes, in different ways, at, at different times. And, and, for, and for different, different reasons. But we all struggle. Even Christian leaders struggle. You may be surprised to learn that the great 19th century preacher Charles Haddon 
Spurgeon struggled with severe depression. And he wrote this uh, to his students once. He wrote, fits of depression come over the most of us. Cheerful as we may be, we must at intervals be cast down. The strong are not always vigorous. The wise not always ready. The brave are not always courageous. And the joyous are not always happy. There may be here and there men of iron to whom wear and tear work no perceptible detriment, but surely the rust frets even these. There may be men of iron, yes, but surely the rust frets even these. And so if all you remember about David from, uh, from Sunday school is his uh, stone-slinging antics, if you like, then you may, be, uh, uh, you, you, you may be inclined to think of David as one such man of iron. You know, he comes across, doesn't he, as a strong, as a strong guy. Oh, Lord, um, but actually in this psalm, uh, if we look at verse 1, where he says, Oh, Lord, deliver me, he, he doesn't actually sound like a man, a man of iron. It's quite different. He says, Lord, deliver me, come quickly to my rescue. Uh, that's verse 2. Now, if he is a man of iron, he knows all about the rust that is affecting him and making him fret. He's in a predicament. He's in a bit of a pickle, to say the least. And I think we'd be right to, to read a little bit of a, of a tone of desperation to David at the start of this, at this psalm. Look at his predicament. What does he need saving from? If you look down to verse 4. He says, free me from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. This trap is, is David's predicament. And initially, at least, we don't know what it is. And in a way, that's helpful for us. It's good that we don't know what it is early on in the psalm. Because uh, what he goes on to record and, and the details of, 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 of how he responds, if you like, um, to, to his plight, serve as an example uh, for us. And, and they show us, if you like, what his rust looked like. So let's track through this psalm, and, and I wonder if you can identify uh, how many of these sort of things you can identify with, with, with me. David is suffering internally. He's suffering externally as well. Um, but, he, but he is suffering internally. Verse 7, he talks about the anguish of his soul. If you go to verse 9 and 10, we see that the crisis has, has drained him. He says, uh, my eyes grow, grow weak with sorrow, my soul and my body with grief. Verse 10, my, my life is consumed by anguish and my years with groaning. Also in verse 10, there is the acknowledgement of physical fragility. He says his bones grow weak. In verse 11, we see that he knows how it feels to be ostracized and, and deserted. Those who are on the street flee from me, he says. Look down to verse 12. In verse 12, he feels like a hopeless nobody. Just feels like a nobody. I've been forgotten by them as though I were dead. I've become like broken pottery. And then in verse 13, he lives in terrifying fear of his life. They conspire against me, he says, and plot to take my life. And lastly, he's not afraid to admit to a bit of panic in all of this. If you look down to verse uh, 22, where he says, um, In my alarm, I said, I am cut off from your sight. He's alarmed. He's, a, he's in a bit of a panic. 
Why? Well, it is towards the end of the psalm that we we get the reason for the predicament eventually. Verse 21 tells us that he is in a besieged city. And commentators are are, are divided on whether that besieged city is a literal city or whether um, it is a a metaphorical one. But by that point in the psalm, it doesn't really matter. Because he's using words that we we can all appropriate for ourselves, if you like. We could say that God, through David, is um, urging us to to bring whatever it is, whatever it is bothering him, uh, to him in in prayer. So maybe this morning your your life is is full of of grief and sorrow. Maybe your soul is is distressed and, and you feel cast down. Maybe you're struggling, actually, in your soul with depression. <laughs> Maybe you're at rock bottom, just really fed up now by the isolation that lockdown has been causing to so many of us. Maybe you're at rock bottom because of ill health. Maybe, as I said at the start, it's something relational. Maybe you're grieving the passing of a loved one recently. Possibly staring death in the face yourself. Maybe you're in a bit of panic over, over the uncertainties of the future, whether that's employment in this current situation, whether it's ex- test results, exam results for you, for your children, for those you know. Whatever it is, church, whatever it is, allow the Holy Spirit to do his work in your life today and appropriate this psalm for yourself Because secondly, David gives us here an example to follow. And this example consists of three things. Prayer, trust, and praise. PTP. Prayer, trust, and praise. Firstly then, prayer. Note that David's immediate actions are to talk to God and tell him how he feels. David is crying out. He's crying out for rescue. He's crying out for refuge. He's crying out for safety. Lord, do something about this. And as David prays, we see one of the things, um, well, we see the results, if you like, of his initial desperation settle. So this panic at the start, this desperation of verses 1 to 2, be my refuge, be a strong fortress, quickly, come quickly, deliver me, rescue me, save me. That panic from those first two verses, if you like, begins to settle as the psalm transitions to the calmer waters of verse 3, and, and, and this true perspective, if you like, is gained. Since you are my rock, since you are my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead me and guide me, he says in verse 3. Free me from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. One of the things I love, I'm sure you appreciate it too, about the Psalms is the striking honesty with which the writers of the Psalms write. Like God, likewise, God longs for us to be honest with him. Come to him honestly, telling him how we feel in, in any situation. He longs for that. It's just like the old hymn says, isn't it? Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because what? We do not carry everything to the Lord in prayer. So that's the first thing, prayer. The second part of David's example to follow is, uh, is, is resolve to trust God. 
It's a resolve to trust God. So verse 5 says, into your hands I commit my spirit. There's a resolve there. Verse 6, I trust in the Lord. And again, down in verse 14, but I trust in you, O Lord. And verse 15, we were praying it earlier, my times are in your hands. This is conscious decision-making. It is conscious decision-making. It's a resolve, it's a determination, it's a commitment to think and act in a way that David knows is right and a way that David knows is best, even when he may not necessarily feel like it is the right thing to do or, or, or like he wants to act in that way. It's a principle, if you like, that was literally um, drummed and drilled into me during my time in the Royal Air Force. Before I was working for a church in Newcastle, I used to be in the RAF for, for 16 years. And when I was in the RAF, we learned and we practiced and uh, we refined and we learned again and we practiced and we learned and we practiced our SOPs. Our SOPs were our standard operating procedures. And they were a range of drills that were designed for every high-pressure scenario that you could think of that we might encounter on board the aircraft. So we needed to know these SOPs inside out, back to front, up, upside down, so that when that high-pressure moment came, whether it was a loss of engine power, whether it was some fumes in, in the cabin or the cockpit, whether it was fire, an engine fire, whether we were flying too low, whether we were close to land, whatever it was... We knew what we needed to do. We knew our SOPs. We knew our standard operating procedures. And the last thing that we needed to do in that situation was to panic. <laughs> the last thing that we needed to do was just to sort of let our feelings take over. And, oh, I don't know what I, what I feel like doing. No, we needed to know what to do and how to do it. So we were resolved. We were determined. We were committed, you could say, to do what we had learned and what we had prepared for. And I honestly believe that it is the same in Christian discipleship. In effect, what David is advocating here is that prayer and determined trust, and as we will come on to see praise, these three things, if you like, should be our, our standard operating procedure as, Chris, as Christians. We resolve, we're determined, we commit to them now, recognizing that otherwise in the heat and in the pain of the moment we may not otherwise do so. I don't know about you guys, but from time to time I find myself contemplating how I might respond if I was in that agonizing situation of having a gun pointed to my head and someone telling me to renounce my, my faith. It often feels like a very uh, a, you know, hypothetical thing uh, to do, but from time to time I, I, I have that little thought exercise. And I wonder how I would respond if I were living in and amongst some of our brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, though, where such a thing is a reality. We were praying for parts of, of the world where that is a reality earlier, weren't we? It's not so long ago that we were reading in Egypt where Christians were lined up, the bus was stopped and they were lined up. They were given a choice. And if they didn't comply, they were shot dead. Think of the, the atrocities going on in Mozambique at the moment and other, other parts of, of Africa. See, our brothers and sisters in such places know in a way that we currently don't. They know the reality of the way David feels in verse 13. Verse 13, he says, there is terror, terror on every side. 
People plot to take their lives. But here's the point again. The time to decide how I'm going to react in the panic and the pain and the confusion and the terror of, of the moment is not then. It's now. Otherwise, I'm just going to crumple. I'm going to fail. I'm going to concede. And we need to pray for ourselves. We need to pray for each other. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters the whole world over, don't we? That God would give us the strength. He would give us the grace never to renounce him in a thousand and one different scenarios and and situations and areas of our busy lives. Whether that's in in our families with non-Christian friends. Whether that's in the workplace. Whether that's in our communities. wherever, Wherever it is. And David is teaching us here a standard operating procedure, if you like, to trouble and to stress. His psalm is a statement of determination. It is expressing assurance for the future. I will trust in the Lord. I will. No one else. But it isn't a blind trust. It isn't isn't a vaguely hoping that everything's going to turn out in the end, kind of hopefully sort of trust. That's not what he's talking about here. David is looking on the past to give him hope for the future. That's what he does. That's where he takes the security from. He he reminds himself of God's faithfulness in the past. So if you look at verse 7 and 8, he says, You saw my affliction. You knew the anguish of my soul. You've not handed me over to the enemy, but you've set my feet in a spacious place. He's looking at the past to give him confidence of God's faithfulness in the future. Verse 5, In your hands I commit my spirit. And verse 15, Again, my times are in your hands. He's looking to the future. Oh, that we may do the same. So are you struggling this morning? Then look back. Look back and remind yourselves of how God has seen you through in the past and resolve, and others, not just yourselves, but how he's seen others through in the past and resolve to trust him in the future. Interestingly, this psalm has been used to um, inspire others in Scripture who've been facing their own crises, who've been in their own uh, spots uh, at various times. We can think of of Jonah. Jonah quotes it. Jeremiah, perhaps most um, uh, famously of all, of course, the Lord Jesus quotes uh, this psalm. He's on the cross, and he, he quotes this psalm to express that perfect trust that he has in his Father. Jesus sought his father to be the refuge, to be the fortress, to be the rock that he needed him to be as he took on the sins of the world on the cross, saying, Father, into, my, into your hands I commit my spirit. And on the cross, Jesus was dealing with the ultimate predicament, we could say, the ultimate problem that David had. He was dealing with the ultimate predicament that we all have, that we all face. I don't know if you saw it, but it's there in verse 10. He says, my strength fails because of my affliction. It's not actually a great translation, uh, affliction. The NIV's got a footnote for you in there. If you look down at the footnote, you'll see that it says um, guilt. My strength fails because of my guilt. The ESV talks about iniquity instead there. And so you may be listening to me this morning you may be, may, may be watching and, 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 and hearing me go on about predicaments and trials and, and struggles and, and all that. But actually, you wouldn't necessarily call yourself a Christian right now. 
Well, if that is you, please understand that this point here in verse 10 is so, so vital for you. So important. Because the Bible teaches that our ultimate predicament is our sin, what David calls here our guilt. And by that he means our total disregard for God. The way we ignore him completely and choose to live our lives the way we want to live our lives, to do what we want to do when we want to do it. And the problem with that, the Bible says, is that it just separates us completely from God in this life and in the life to come. But God in his mercy and his love and his grace, this is the heart of the Christian faith, of course. This is the heart of what it means, the Christian gospel. He took the initiative, God. And he sent his son, his perfect, sinless son, to die on the cross instead of us. Paying the price that those sins, that that guilt, that that affliction deserve. This is the ultimate rescue. The ultimate deliverance, if you like. This is salvation. But it needs a response. It needs a response. We need to ask for forgiveness. And we need to accept what Jesus did for us by faith. Now, David, of course, he lived before Jesus. Uh, He couldn't understand fully the rescue plan that God had set in place before the foundation of the world. He wasn't privy to that. But he had faith, nonetheless, that God would bring about ultimate rescue from the ultimate predicament of sin because he knew his God. And truly knowing God causes David to praise him. This is the third and the last part of his example to follow praise. If you look at verse 19, he says, How great is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you, which you bestow on those who take refuge in you. And verse 21, towards the end, Praise be to the Lord, for he showed his wonderful love to me. David knew His God. He knew that God was merciful. He knew that God was gracious. He knew that God was slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, forgiving transgression, forgiving sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. That famous expression of who God is from from the Pentateuch. He knew that God was full of steadfast love. He knew that God was a God of justice and he cannot but help praise him for it. I remember one time hearing um, uh, someone counsel a young Christian in a predicament of his own making and he counseled him with the following uh, advice. He said, you got yourself into this mess and you need to praise your way out of it. You got yourself into this mess and you need to praise your way out of it. Now, he may not have won Pastoral Carer of the Year Award for, for, for that approach, but I think he was on to something. He was on to something. Praise is the response to everything because it ensures that our perspective about God and our perspective about ourselves is in the right order. So, our immediate actions to trouble then are discipleship SOPs, standard operating procedures if you like. Prayer, trust, praise, PTP, prayer, trust, praise. I will, I will commit to pray. I will commit to trust the Lord. I will commit to praise him. Finally and briefly, David wraps up the psalm with wonderful assurance. So this is verse 23. The assurance at the end of the psalm says this. Love the Lord, all his saints. 
The Lord preserves the faithful, but the proud he pays back in full. Be strong and take heart, all you who hope in the Lord. What is the assurance? That the Lord will preserve you and that the Lord will strengthen you as you wait for him. There is not a promise here to remove you from the trial of the predicament, from the trouble. That's not the promise here. No, certainly not in the short term. Rather, it is the strength to meet it and to endure. A bit like young Christian in John Bunyan's classic tale, Pilgrim's Progress. Are you, are you familiar uh, with, with that story? If you haven't read it, I, I, I commend it to you. Maybe you, you might want to read it in a, a version that is more modern English than the, than the old language that, uh, that, that the original is in. But I do commend it to you. You should. If you've not read the story, it follows Christian, young Christian on this treacherous journey uh, from the city of destruction to the, to the heavenly uh, celestial city. And near the start of his journey, Christian falls into uh, this slough called despond, or if you prefer the modern version, the bog named misery, this muddy uh, swamp, for want of a better uh, expression. And here he wallows for a while. He's stuck in this, in this slough, in this bog, in this muddy hole, until a man named Help comes along. I think it's the Holy Spirit. And he kindly pulls him free from this pit of despondency and he sets his feet upon the solid ground. It's akin to verse 8 in here where David's feet are placed in this spacious, this broad place. And Christian asks help why this dangerous plot of land has not been sorted out. Why has it not been dealt with? Why is this bog still here? Why has it not been mended, he says, that poor travellers might go on heaven's journey with more security? To which help tellingly replies... This miry slough is such a place that cannot be mended. It's such a place that can't be mended. How true this is in real life. No matter how hard we try, no matter how spiritually mature we are, miry sloughs, those boggy pits of despair, those troubles, those predicaments are inevitable. Not because we failed somehow. No, no, no but because no one is immune to despondency from time to time. No one is immune to trouble. It is such a place in the Lord's sovereignty and for his purposes that cannot be mended, only traveled through. And David wants us to know through this psalm the assurance that the Lord will preserve his people through that. So, Saints of St. John's, Hartford. You are saints. Be strong. Whatever it is you are facing right now, whatever the next trial coming up will be for you, be strong. Let your heart take courage and wait in hope for the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, each one of us here can testify to different trials to struggles, to tribulations in our lives. Lord, some of us are in the pain and the confusion of those things right now. Father, you know exactly what has befallen us in the past. You know 
what is going on right now and you know what will happen in the future and we thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the resolve by the help of the great helper. Give us the resolve to meet each stress, each trouble, each difficulty, each predicament in prayer with complete trust in you and keep us praising you, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.